Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of our One Team, One Promise podcast. Uh, today, uh, as we have in the past few different podcasts, we are uh, interviewing one of our medical staff members, and uh, the physicians that we're speaking to throughout this series are physicians that are either in leadership roles, um, they're on our medical executive team, or they're in formal uh, leadership roles within the hospital, or they're they're new to Conway Regional. And so stay tuned and uh, keep your eye out for other podcasts about uh, our great, great medical staff. I think it really is a strength of our, of our health system and in our community. And uh, I look forward to these visits and getting to know our medical staff team uh, even a little better uh, right along with you. And today... We are very fortunate to have uh, in studio uh, Dr. Carol Angel. Welcome, Dr. Angel. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Dr. Angel is an anesthesiologist, and so for the group, tell us a little bit about how long you've been in Conway and and what what got you here. Uh, So I came in 1999. I was recruited by Dr. Margaret Beasley. She'd been an anesthesiologist here in solo practice before me, and it was just a good place to live. I had Mm -hmm. been to... uh, been through Conway as a student at Hendricks College, and at that time, Conway just wasn't very interesting, and and the hospital wasn't much of anything either, but by the uh-huh. time I came back in 1999, I was married, I had small children, and it was really a good place to live. The community was nice, and the hospital envir- environment was very nice. Yeah. I, I should have said this before. So Dr. Angel is our immediate past uh, chief of staff. So uh, rolled off of that, was that in January of this, no, of 21? Yes. Right, okay. Um, so the way our medical staff is structured, we have a medical executive committee um, uh, that I won't go through who all those members are yet, but <laughs> anyway, the immediate, uh, the, the, the current chief of staff, the staff elect, and the past uh, chief of staff are all a part of MedExec, and so... That's uh, that's Carol's role. Uh, Carol also plays a leadership role within the anesthesia group, um, which uh, goes back to Dr. Beasley, and yes. I'm sure maybe even before that. I don't. Uh, my memory starts to fail. Uh, yeah. Dr. Beasley had been here for a number of years, even before you, right? Right. She was here a long time. Yeah. Um, maybe at one point, I know she was. Was she chief of staff as mm-hmm. well? She was. Okay. W- was probably our first female chief of staff. I, I would think suspect. So. so yes. Uh, quite a quite an honor, um, and if I'm not mistaken, you were the second female chief of staff. Is that accurate? I think I've heard that. Okay, yes. I think I have as well. Um, and I know, at least in my tenure, um, it's it, you were the only one female chief of staff that I've had. So, uh, a quick plug for diversity. So, <laughs> in my <laughs> tenure here, in my six years, we've had an African American uh, pastor who was our chief of staff. Uh, Andrea Woods was a, uh, I say chief of staff, I'm sorry, president of our medical, uh, excuse me, our hospital board. And then uh, Andrea Woods was uh, president of the, of the hospital board, chairman of the hospital board as well. So um, uh, we've had, had quite a diverse group uh, for me to work with, which has really been a blessing. So let's talk a little bit about uh, personal interest. What do you like to do for fun? Well, the early years of my career here, I pretty much worked and took care of my kids. So wherever my kids were, (laughs) I was with them doing whatever they wanted to do. Now that they're gone from home, I have a lot more time. So I like to read. I like to work out. I like to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to spend time with my husband. I I should have known that the the, the working out part. So a quick (laughs) plug for uh, Dr. Fit, uh, Patrick Jamerson. Carol and I oftentimes, not as much anymore because I kind of dialed back here, this latest surge of Omicron uh, from yeah. working out with Dr. Fit, but 
That's how I, that's predominantly where we I see you. share that pain. Yes, <laughs> we share <Yeah>. that pain. <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh, Spend time with your husband. And, and my yeah. two adult daughters. So the older daughter lives on the East Coast now. So I haven't really been able to see her that much since COVID's been around. So yeah. I'm hoping to see her a little bit more now that things are better. Yeah, cool. And my younger daughter is in Fayetteville. So she okay. comes home a little bit. I see her a little bit more often. Yeah. What, what kind of books do you like to read? Oh, gosh. A little bit of everything? Yeah. 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 All right. And you, prior to coming to Conway, did you live in uh, Little Rock? I grew up in Little Rock, and that's where I went to med school and did my residencies. And I, when I graduated from the anesthesia program, I was in Hot Springs briefly, and then I came to Conway to take this job. Okay. Um, I've been in Conway most of my career. Yeah. It's an uh, interesting, small little little story. I'm sure Dr. Angel remembers this, but um, I lived in Little Rock for, I've been in, in Conway or in this role for six years, you know, four of those years. Uh, uh, I was living in Little Rock, mm-hmm. and I did a 5K in, the, in KMAC Village. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, it's interesting, when you live somewhere else, you know, and you see somebody that you know every day, and they're out of context, sometimes you have this moment of like, wait a minute, I know them. Is that really, you know, that person? And it takes you a second. But yes, I saw you at that 5K, you and yeah, your husband, uh, if right. I recall correctly. Um, so yeah, so Little Rock Roots, um, been here majority of, of your of your career. So uh, kind of take me back a little bit further prior to med school. Why did you choose medicine? What what got you interested in medicine? Uh, you know, I don't really know because nobody in my family was in any kind of medical role. My, really? No nurses or doctors or anything. Huh. And uh, when I was 14, I was a candy striper, a volunteer at St. Vincent's. And that was really oh, my wow. first exposure to the medical school, the medical field. And I kind of liked it. Yeah. And so after that, I, I got to college. I thought, well, maybe I'll study biology or chemistry. Maybe I'll apply to med school. And I just, at every step, I kept thinking, well, maybe I'll go on. And I just succeeded and I got there. Yeah. So. And I know especially back around the time you were there, and I think still today, Hendrix produces a lot of yes. medicine students. And yes. so it probably was not uncommon for people to go to school there and then right. high success discover rate, medicine. Yeah. High success rate getting their college graduates into medical school. Yeah. And so you became intrigued through your candy, candy striping uh, and then decided to, to give it a whirl. Um, yeah. Did you go to UAMS for medical school? Or? I did. Okay. Um, and then there's always that decision. And for those that don't know, you don't go to medical school thinking, well, some people probably do think, I want to yeah. be an orthopedic surgeon, I want to be right. a brain surgeon. But then they get into medical school and they yes. think, holy cow, what was I thinking there? Right. Uh, what, what about you? Did you know you wanted to pursue anesthesia from day one? Or? I really didn't. Yeah. And I, I actually got to the end of medical school and I did a pediatric residency. And then I did ER, and then I thought, well, I'll do anesthesia and become a pediatric anesthesiologist. But by the time I finished all that, it was seven years, <laughs> and I was ready just to get a job. I bet. So I uh, just entered private practice, and I take care of kids and older folks and all ages, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. I had forgotten that, that you you originally thought pediatrics was, was the route. life for me. Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> What what excites you or what interests you about anesthesia? You know, anesthesia is 90% boredom and 10% terror. I'm sure you've heard that <laughs> adage, and it really is true. Uh-huh. But uh, I find it to be very satisfying. You know, yeah. 
people come to the OR and some of them are really quite anxious or they've had a bad experience with anesthesia before or they're, they're fairly sick and they're worried about how they're going to do. And, and so I have just a brief period of time to talk to them in pre-op and kind of reassure them and give them the plan. And then the part in the OR is like, uh, well, the routine cases are pretty straightforward, but the sicker folks, you know, it's kind of like being an ICU doctor. You're maintaining their breathing and their their blood pressure and their heart rhythm and all of that, that's all on you to keep all that going. And if there's a problem, you got to get in there and correct whatever needs to be corrected. So it's interesting, I yeah. think. It's kind of a, a little bit of a mix of, of ER medicine, right? Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. There's, right. there's the unexpected element. ICU also. Uh, yeah. Critical care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so that, that is interesting. I'm trying to think of the name of the book that I read a while back. I think it's called Compassion, Compassionomics. And it's just about compassion and healthcare, and mm-hmm. um, but one of the people that they profiled was a was an anesthesiologist, and um, you know he he wasn't necessarily motivated, or it, it didn't didn't um, it didn't energize him to do the things that you mentioned. You know, oh. the, the bedside care really wasn't so much oh, him. Yeah. He was just fascinated how the human body can be put to sleep and yeah. tolerate surgery. And then through this, you know, the whole process of how people go under and then come out and yeah. recover, the, just the science of that just really energized him. He right. didn't, you know, the, his story wasn't so much about easing those concerns, making people feel better about their surgery or, oh. you know. But I like all of it. I like uh, the yeah. people part, too. Yeah. It is kind of fascinating, yeah. though, to, yeah. to think of, you know, putting people to sleep mm-hmm. and, and how that how the body can do that. But that's a topic for another podcast. Um, throughout your, your residency and as you were coming through and going into practice, did you have any, any mentors, anybody that kind of helped guide you? How, how did you get to know Margaret uh, Beasley? That's funny. So while I was at the med center doing my anesthesia residency, Margaret Beasley was on staff there. I think maybe she wasn't full-time staff. I think she just came like a day or week or something, but I met her and, um, I didn't know very much about her, and then later on when I was looking to change jobs from Hot Springs, I ran across her again, and and I interviewed with her, and and I just thought this was a really good practice. You know, Mm -hmm. the hospital had a lot of specialists. We had almost every specialist you could want, and it was mostly a young medical staff, and they were all very um, easy to work with, easy to talk to, and they took good care of the patients, and I was impressed. Yeah, it, it's interesting if you look at kind of our, our timeline, those late 90s, yes, there were a lot of new physicians. It was there growing. Was, there was a huge growth spurt in yes. Conway. A lot of people were leaving Con- uh, Little Rock at that time, if I recall correctly, yeah. demographically. And so, yeah, you had a lot of new people coming out of practice, mm-hmm. or coming out of training, rather, new to practice. And so it's probably a very interesting time to, it was good. to be here. And those were the days of... Jim Somerset, was he the administrator? Jim Somerset was here when I got here. Okay, but not yes. for very long. Right. He okay. left, uh, I came in 1999, and he was probably gone within the year or so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so that, that puts a, a time frame of it. That's when the the PHO had, had just recently, if not about to be established, the rehab hospital was being either constructed or about to launch the, the yeah. ambulatory surgery that RASD right. was that up and running when you got it here it had been open about a year or so okay yes okay um which is also a, an interesting story there's a lot going on it uh, was a lot yes uh, going on at that so maybe talk to me a little bit about how the practice of anesthesia has changed so you know when you when you came out of training right 
these things called CRNAs were probably new, but but not as common. Is that fair? The the, the medicines and the equipment that you have is 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 it different today than it was back then? I think that the anesthesiologists and and the CRNAs always practice together as a group. What's made anesthesia better is the safety of the devices that we use. So uh, the pulse ox that was you know ongoing while I was a resident that was already there. That tells you what the patient's oxygen level is. And then we had something called an entitled CO2, which when you put the breathing tube in, it's a reflection that the breathing tube's in the right place. You're exhaling carbon dioxide, and a little device can tell you, oh, you got the tube in the right mm-hmm. right hole. And so that made it very safe. Yeah. It did. Yeah. And then the other big thing I thought that we had was something called a glidoscope, video laryngoscope, that we have certain people that it's just hard to put their breathing tube in. They can't open their mouth very well, or they've got terrible arthritis in their neck and they can't bend their neck and so when you look down there all the anatomy doesn't line up and and we used to have to put the tube in with a fiber optic bronchoscope in a wake fashion and it was kind of uncomfortable for the patient but this new thing that came along maybe 10 years ago we just put them to sleep and it's a special airway device and you can see the anatomy and get the breathing tube right in yeah you use a camera to do it yeah, I I can recall reading, um, and this goes back way back, but the, the safety and efficacy of anesthesia, right? From you know the we late eighties, early nineties to today, we have a long track record of safety. Yeah, very. and almost everything we do has that in mind. Yeah. So yeah, kind of kind of to that end. So um, you you have a group here today. We have four uh, MD. Anesthesia, right, and then a group of CRNAs. About eighteen of them. Yeah, they work. We all work together. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, but those CRNAs are overseen by an MD. Yes. So, um, even though you may not be in the room for all cases, you you have some eyes. Yes. <laughs> uh, so to speak, in in supervision uh, over their over their uh, anesthesia. Um, the, the medicines that are given today, if you've seen those change dramatically oh, as well, so much better than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, some of the anesthesia gas, like halothane, uh-huh. had some toxicity to it. Some cardiac problems could develop if you left the gas on too high while the patient was going to sleep. There's also what's called malignant hyperthermia, which could be a fatal reaction from halothane or another medicine that we give. So we don't use halothane anymore. We have better improved gases. And our IV medicine, our, our greatest IV medicine is propofol. Yeah. Which most people unfortunately know from Michael Jackson, but you, right. know, you don't take that at home with, <laughs> right. without oxygen and a doctor paying attention to you and all that. Um, the propofol is very smooth. The patients are not waking up nauseated or lethargic, groggy, you know, can't wake up for six to eight hours all day. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. I've I've had uh propofol when I've had GI scopes yes. before. Right. Um, I had an injection in my back, a series of injections, uh, and it, it's a good thing that they don't sell that at liquor stores. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's People good would stuff. like it a little too uh, much. Yes, yes, it needs to be highly regulated. Um, and I meant, to, I meant to go down this track, but when you were talking about um, the, the, the gases and stuff, so what, what does it take to become a, an anesthesiologist? Obviously, med school we talked about, Okay. but th- what's the residency like? So four years of medical school, and then you're accepted into an anesthesia residency, and that's four years. Okay. So during those four years, you practice exclusively in the hospital. It's on-the-job training. I mean, you have didactic lectures and all that, too, but you're in the OR every day, case after case after case, putting the patients to sleep, waking them up. Yeah. So you do quite a few cases. Yeah. 
And are you are you doing any kind of other general rotation through medicine? Um, the first year you do. Okay. But the last three years, it's all anesthesia. Okay. Uh, one of the things we've talked about here uh, is a transitional year program. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing that, that the state is producing more medical students, and a lot of times they need that year of medicine um, kind of training. So do, do some... Do some anesthesia residents go do a transitional year before going into residency, or is that... Well, usually when they match into their anesthesia residency program... They go straight there. They do their transitional year there. Okay, okay. That's all built into it. I'm just... It was curious. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about, about leadership. So um, you you take a leadership role with your group, um, and I'm trying to recall what led into you being on MedExec uh, and, and becoming chief of staff. Were you a committee chair before? I was recall. not. So okay. I was in the group of physicians that when you came to town, yes. we were working together to have a closer relationship. And so that was probably a two-year process that I was involved in the leadership of that. And then at the end of that, I think I was asked, or maybe I thought of my own, maybe I should run for chief of staff. <laughs> so that's how I got it. Okay. Yes. So I've told this story before on the podcast, but um, when I got to Conway, the, the medical staff was, uh, I'm trying, how, how, do I, how do I describe it? You know, under a lot of tension. You divided. Know, divided. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we proceeded to have kind of what I would equate to a kitchen cabinet, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the, the med exec committee, but then also other leaders who were influential, may not have the title of right. a medical director or a leader. But but who um, who were who were seen as leaders and and uh, Dr. Angel was certainly part of that group and we would meet at Mike's place uh, invariably you know around six o'clock when the train goes by so we always <laughs> had that uncomfortable moment but those are the days where the ACM was really birthed you know this idea right. that we could co-manage you know a, a hospital uh, together. Um, okay, so the ACM was a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. Our experience as physicians before that was the hospital made all the decisions, and we weren't really asked about it, or mm-hmm. our views were not really taken into account. And so when we started the ACM, we really started to work together, and it just completely changed, you know, the culture at the hospital. Yeah, I, it was cohesive for the first time. Yeah, I appreciate your you're saying that, and it's yeah. not not to say, and and you know, you and I both know this in your chief of staff role. It's not to say that that the medical staff and administration just automatically agrees on everything. No, we don't. Um, but you know, I think prior prior structures, those differences just kind of get buried. They get ignored, ignored, and like any. They're buried, and then there's long-held grudges under <laughs> right, the surface. Right. They, <laughs> That's how they, the doctors are. <laughs> they, they, they form abscesses, and <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think about the clinical terms, infections <laughs> that uh, that don't go away. They just, they just yeah. maybe aren't seen as much. And in the ACM, you just can't run from that as, as yeah. like you could previously. So. We have to talk. We have a venue, and we have to talk about things, whether it's yeah. uncomfortable or not. Yeah. So I remember, you know, when you went into that role uh, as chief of staff. I mean, you you had some some reservations. I mean, yeah. I, I think just from the from a time commitment. I think yeah. if nothing else, what what was that like? Uh, and what I guess kind of in a similar sort of tag on question, you know, if you were if you were counseling somebody who was thinking about becoming who was a physician who's maybe thinking about becoming a leader, you know, and and kind of thinking through how. Uh, and you wanted to describe to them what it was like. How would you how would you describe it? Well, 
I was on the hook anytime there was a problem at the hospital. I got a yeah. phone call, Dr. Angel, we need to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. And so Which is not infrequent, by the that way. That was a lot of phone conversations and side meetings about that. But did, did, did you have any appreciation of that before you took the role? I knew that the chief of staff did that, but I didn't realize how involved that was till I got into yeah. it. But it was really good because I felt like I was involved in some conversations that made a difference with yeah. some of the physicians that were not really well settled here. And yeah, yeah. So. It's hard to talk about those generally without getting into the specifics, <laughs> but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And um, that's when, you know, really administration and, and that chief of staff really have to be on the same page. Right. And, um, again, without getting the specific, uh, specific, you did a great job with that. Oh, uh, well, thank you. And then three months in, COVID hit us. Right. So, <laughs> And that wasn't stressful at all. I that mean. was like, oh, my gosh. Close the OR. It was almost like you were getting ready for war. Yeah. Getting yeah. ready. Got to get the hospital ready. Got to get the docs ready. And. You know, the only patients who came to the OR for a while were the ones that were just, oh, they were so sick. I mean, everybody else was too afraid to come to the hospital. Yeah. They wouldn't come to the ER. They wouldn't go to the doctor. They just stayed home. Yeah. So the people who came that had, you know, like a broken hip or they had to have their appendix out, a lot of the older folks just looked, it was just so sad. I mean, they didn't have any family with them. Yeah. You know, they'd be 90 years old and I'd be talking to them and... I didn't know if they could hear me or understand me, and it was just really something. Yeah. And it was scary for them, too, I think. Yeah. I think uh, that, that, was, that was difficult. Um, it, it was. All the way around, and, and uh, you know, I think people probably tend to think that, that we don't feel that as clinicians, right? Yeah. Uh, nurses, doctors. That, that we just don't feel it. It's just, you know, can't have a family member there, so what? But it, right. it, but it really does affect how you deal. do your job. Yeah. Right. And your ability to do it, but um, yeah, it is interesting. I I really think that even those on medical exec don't always appreciate what their colleague as chief of staff has to go through, um, and maybe they do from afar. But um, it's always, I think, a, a much bigger time commitment uh, than than most people can fully appreciate for sure. But um, did you what, what? What did you learn from that leadership role perspective? What would you, as you look back on it, what did you? Uh... Well, the most interesting thing was when I got it. I thought I don't know that I have any leadership skills. Uh-huh. You know how to talk to people in conflict and just all kinds of issues. And I had a leadership coach provided yeah. by the hospital, and I thought that was pretty helpful. And I remember the first time I had to confront people about difficult issues in the hospital. I was all nervous. What am I going to say to this doctor? And uh-huh. After a while, I just I got pretty good at it. Yeah, it didn't stress me out. Yeah, you did. So I actually grew quite a bit as a person. I think. Yeah, you you really. And I was surprised at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not a muscle that you use every right. day. No, no, yeah. Um, and so just to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, as as chief of staff, you know, there are things that occur in hospitals where patients are upset. Uh, maybe there is something that happened where there's a question, you know, was this the right thing to do or not do, or did this person respond appropriately? It could be just people are not nice to, was this a medical error? I mean, those are kind of questions. And as chief of staff, their their role, your role was to kind of step in and help mitigate that, hear investigate both sides it, of it. Yes. hear both sides. Um, and a lot of that, you know, isn't talked about out in public. Um, right. Hopefully very little to none of that is actually yeah. talked about in public. And most of it is is a non-issue. Um, but, you know, in, in healthcare, a lot of times we have a hard time having those conversations because they're, they, they can be things that make people feel threatened, right? Right. And uh, feel like, oh gosh, I'm getting called to the principal's office, which 
was never the intent um, of, of any of this. It's to learn and grow and improve, ultimately, hopefully. But um, so let's let's talk maybe a little bit about um, about what excites you about the future of Conway Regional. You know, you have seen tremendous growth over the twenty two. Right. I read that up right. right. 22 years. Um, and like we talked about before, with Somerset coming on board and all the things that happened during his tenure here. Right. And then the last six years, we've had COVID. And as you look forward to the next 20 years, <laughs> I'm making an assumption here. <laughs> I won't be here that long. Okay, all right. <laughs> if you look, I'll be gone. <laughs> if you look, uh, yeah, you, you can be a, a Margaret Beasley. You could still be involved in the foundation and, and I might other like ways. to do something okay. like that. So you're you're not away in total, but um, as you look forward to the next twenty years, what do you what what excites you about about the future and where we're headed? Well, I like the fact that we're growing. Yeah. And even in the years since you've been here, you know, we've had new specialists come, like uh, Dr. Reagan Gallagher, the the neuro, neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. We hadn't had one of those on staff before, and uh, the gastric sleeve surgery that we're doing for the patients trying to lose weight. Those are all just phenomenal things. And then, and then things trickle out from that. Like the neurosurgery patients, sometimes they need pain management. And yeah. the gastric sleeve patients, they, need, they have medical issues that need to be managed. So it just kind of all expands together. Yeah. And so being able to, to see the hospital grow and provide more services, keep right. more people local. We keep getting um, more and more doctors, more and more surgeons. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Yeah. 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 Well, and... Until we need more ORs, but that's <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting there. We'll get some new ones soon. Yeah, well, as as we like to say, there there are problems that you don't like to have, and then there's problems you do like to have, and the need to have more ORs because you're taking care of more people and keeping yeah. more people local is, is a good problem to have, right? We'll, right, we'll figure it out. But uh, but yeah, we really we really have, and and you know, when it comes to recruitment, that that becomes a lot easier when you've got good medical staff relations and yes. And y'all are part of the recruitment package. Like you know? we have infectious disease doctors yeah. now. Uh, yeah. We, we have an endocrinologist. So those are all things that we've not had at our hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So. Good. Good. All right. Well, Dr. Angel, thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your leadership um, and uh, getting to know you a little bit better. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's it for this edition of our One Team, One Promise podcast. Uh, Again, tune in soon for our our next interview with a medical staff uh, member or leader. Y'all stay well. Thank you.